Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition, and it's going to be a happy show today for these gentlemen, of course, with Georgia, uh, you know, uh, not upsetting. I mean, winning the national championship against Alabama. You, know, you want to call it an upset because it's Alabama and it's Georgia, you know, but they were favored and they won the game as uh, they were favored. But, uh, of course, you can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. You can find the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen, on the Twitter at CFP uh, Winning Edge, and Xavier at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on uh, the Twitter here. But let's just jump right in. Georgia takes down the national title. Uh, I know Xavier has barely slept since Monday. Uh, Nick, yep. uh, obviously, you know, um, you wanted Bama to win for your projections, or not win, but uh, come close oh. for your projections, but... As a Georgia grad, obviously very happy with the Bulldogs winning the their first national championship since when was the last one? 1980? 1980. Yeah, long time. So, uh, you know, just whatever you want to hit on the game, let's review it here. Well, it was, you know, a, a fitting end, I think, to uh, was was a really good season. And, you know, certainly if you've been listening to us, there have been some uh, complaints I've had here and there, just as far as uh, you know, selfishly our projections go. But uh, as a Georgia grad, as you mentioned, yeah, I, I was certainly happy to see uh, the old alma mater finally uh, get get that national championship. And as we've talked about plenty before, I was uh, also invested as a, a futures, uh, you know, uh, investor. Better. This time last year was was. Um, Loaded up a, a bit on Georgia, added a little bit more later in the spring, and that ended up, you know, working out quite well. So uh, with that combined with our season win totals, actually ended up being a pretty decent season for us in a lot of ways. And I, I wrote up a little about this uh, for our Patreon subscribers. It, it has been our best season in, in quite a variety of ways. Win totals were really good. The futures were really good. Um, our support. On Patreon, you know, we, we shattered records there. We've shattered records with listeners and downloads. So thank you to you all who are, are listening. Um, so I certainly complain about, you know, and I'm sure some of our uh, listeners who might have been paying real close attention to the uh, projections against the spread. That was certainly a, a bit of a struggle for us this year. But all in all, um, not just from, you know, a, a uh, support standpoint but um you know that that is has really really been great this year we're, we're really appreciative of that but we also had some success uh in, in some of the other you know things we do as well so uh fitting in the game itself was exciting it looks like for a little while you know maybe we were going to be able to thread the needle georgia had a one point lead a, a couple of different times in the second half uh, I wasn't getting, you know, too excited about that. Uh, but, to, you know, we were talking a little bit just before we started recording. But, you know, Stetson Bennett, shaky early for Georgia. I mean, I think that first drive, I was a little bit worried. Then they had kind of the weird, uh, you know, was it a fumble? Was it an incomplete pass that gave Alabama the ball uh, Huge deep in Georgia territory? Huge yeah. I, you know, that, that was kind of the – uh, the big mistake maybe that Stetson Bennett has made at, at times, but from that point on, I mean, he, 
took over the game and just, uh, you know, attacked downfield. The, the big uh, pass to Adani Mitchell uh, for the touchdown was huge. I mean, that that's going to be a legendary play in Georgia football history. And then, you know, from that point, they, they just sort of uh, took over. Obviously, the, the defense coming up huge with the pick six. You know, saw uh, a few people point out that Georgia's first touchdown of the year was a pick six. Last touchdown of the year was a pick six. Pretty fitting for what was a historically great uh, defense. And, yeah, I mean, just did what they had to do to, to win the game, to win the national championship. Um Alabama wasn't at full strength. You know, we can't can't ignore that. Hate that Jamison Williams or excuse yeah. me, Jamison Williams uh, suffered a torn ACL in the game. Alabama was already shorthanded at receiver, was already shorthanded at corner. Um, but you know, uh, Georgia was able to to do what it needed to do to to win the game, to uh, get revenge for the loss uh, the previous month, and and to end a long. Uh, championship drought and uh, you know really kept uh, you know uh, put the the exclamation point on a really really excellent season uh, not just Georgia you know not just the teams that were in the playoff but I think in all you know it was a really really enjoyable season really exciting a lot of unexpected things happened throughout uh, but in my opinion you know, not only because of personal ties and personal investments, but uh, just as a college football fan, I, I thought it was a great way to end it. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, you watched uh, the first quarter of this game with me, <laughs> and mm -hmm. it just seemed like it was going to be a low slog and, uh, you know, just uh, one of those AFC North type of battles. Yep. You know what I mean? Like all defensive SEC. And I saw that um, like 18 bowl games went over and 17 went under but 11 of the unders were SEC games. So yep. uh, not a surprise to see this one go under two. Almost got over in that fourth quarter. Um, if Bama would have scored one more time uh, when they were trying to, uh, you know, get uh, get within tying range, striking distance mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, it would have gone over if they would have scored one more time. But, uh, yeah, your guys, uh, Georgia, didn't really pick it up until the end of the third quarter as far as offense goes. But after that, it was just – an explosion and uh, Bama, you know, specifically after Williams went down, just didn't have much. Yeah. And, and funny enough, if Georgia doesn't go for two to go to make it 1918 uh, and they just decided to take the one that would have taken it over as well, uh, or it would have gotten as close as possible. It would literally finished at 52. So I, I mean, it was just, I feel sorry for anybody who took the over. Cause we were talking about in the beginning of that game to take the over. Like we were like, yeah, it's going to go over. The, the SEC championship game went over. For Bama to win, it's going to have to be the over. For Georgia to compete, they're going to have to put at least 30. Uh, I just didn't think that we saw – obviously, we didn't see Alabama at full strength. Um, once Jamison Williams went down, I think Alabama figured out a way to get Jamison Williams the ball because they struggled even with him in the game in the first quarter. Um, you know, But I think that play, the play that he literally got hurt on, I think Alabama had figured something out. I think Nick Saban and company had figured out a way to get him the ball in that play in particular. He was he was in a stack, but he was lined up on the inside. Slade Bolden and I think it was Ja'Cory Brooks pretty much just cleared out and, and confused Georgia, who was essentially just hoping that they would use him as an outside threat, um, running him up the middle of the field, forcing that safety to figure out where he was in time. Obviously, you give a kid that runs a four two eight any kind of you know free release. 
you're you're essentially putting the earnest on the defense to be in a full sprint after him into the middle of the field. Uh, and I think they figured something out on that play in particular. You know, him just trying to essentially you know be the athlete that he is and, and make a big and make a big play into a bigger play, trying to cut back. Obviously, is what you know I think led to the ACL injury. Uh, if you watch it back, he's trying to cut back to his right and just could it. You know, body just did not want to do what he was trying to make it do. Um, and I think from there, Bama just struggled. You know, they couldn't do what they did against Cincinnati. They couldn't just line up Brian Robinson. Although there was a segment there, and Nick will know what I'm talking about. There was a segment there that I had a I had a 2012 flashback. Um, the drive that they took it from the two that ended in a block field goal. I was like, oh. This reminds me back in 2012 in the fourth quarter where Bama just said, you know what? We're bigger than you. We're going to run the football down your throat, and there's going to be nothing you can do about it. I think all Georgia fans for like half a second had some PTSD when they watched Brian Robinson run through four UJ defenders from his own two-yard line. And we were like, oh, here we go. They figured out something different. <laughs> Maybe this defense isn't as physical as we thought it was. Um, you know, and, and, and for that block field goal to happen as well, which obviously would have helped the over as well, but we're, we're not talking about. But, you know, I think – you know, the Georgia defense just figured it out. You know, um, I will say Bama had, what, two tr- touchdowns dropped. Latu, after making a massive play, drops one in the end zone. And the G Hall, after making a massive play, drops one in the end zone. So, you know, you look at it that way, you know, Bama really could have been a lot tighter in this game or the lead could have been a lot bigger for them in this game. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, a lot of the times when a defense, you know, we, we talk about quick changes when offense gives up turnovers and defense has to go right back out there. But on both of those two drops, it was after the defense gave up massive plays and they gave up another one right after that. You know, uh, everybody's talking about the Nicobe Dean uh, Channing Tindall situation where Nicobe pulls him aside and is like, yo, you forgot to move across the middle to take that throw away. But heck, Latu could have caught it. And I think even uh, Ja'Cory Brooks comes into the screen and could have caught it as well. So like, there were some opportunities there for Bama to really put a stamp on the game. And it was really just those first downs because the remaining two plays were nothing plays uh, on both in both of those drives, second and third down, which obviously ended up leading to field goals. So, I mean, but Bama had their opportunities. They were there if they really want, you know, and, you know, you could say maybe if you, if you take out law two and that's, you know, maybe Jaleel Billingsley, a G Hall's drop, maybe that's Jamison Williams or John Mechie. Those catches are made, and obviously you've got a completely and entirely different ball game. But I, I'll say here, Bama had its opportunities to, at the very least, have a lead and keep that lead um, throughout the ball game. I just felt like in the fourth quarter, I genuinely think Todd Munkin looked at himself in the mirror and said, "Just let, just let it go." Just, just let it go, because I felt like Todd Monkey was calling a very tight game up into the fourth quarter. Everything was minute. He was trying to have perfect drives. He was trying to make the perfect decision. Georgia just gets the ball ro- rolling in the in the second half, and uh, we decided to run a uh, an end around to Lad McConkey, which Will Anderson completely blows up mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on that play. Right, just you know, after running the ball twice in a row for I think twenty yards a clip, then you run it on first down, get five, and you're like, you know what? I think this is a time for a pop play. Right. Tom Munkin tries a flea flicker. Once again, trying to do having the perfect play call ends up leading to an intentional grounding that kills another drive in the second half. It just felt like going into that fourth quarter, Todd Munkin said to himself, I got a quarterback back here that I got to try. And the one thing I haven't tried all game are the two backup corners for, for, uh, for Alabama right now who they consistently are leaving on an island. And they said, all right, Kool-Aid McKinstry and company, we're going to just let you see. Let's just see what you can do against, you know, Jermaine Burton and, and George Pickens and, and Adonai Mitchell. And it, and, and it was really great 
I think from him, he kind of just completely switched it up. Because I'm perfectly honest with you, man, there there are some some damning things in, in a couple of the group chats that I'm in about Todd Munkin's play calling up until that point. I thought he had one of his worst games for about two and a half to three quarters up until that last quarter, genuinely speaking, uh, just because I felt like he really, like I said, he was too tight. He was playing. Everything was supposed to be precise every single way. And, and in my head, I was like, this is not how we've been playing all year. We've been running the ball at least, at the very least attempting to, you know, the James Cook play happens. And my first text message to a friend of mine after the James Cook play, I was like, do not pass the football, run it again, <laughs> run it again. Um, I was like, you got a bunch of gas defensive linemen. And as great as Alabama's defensive front was, the one thing we, we didn't hit on in the podcast, or I, don't, I don't think I hit on enough, was probably the lack of depth that that, that, that defensive line had. So after a 67-yard run, run it again. Those are the, probably going to be the same four guys out there because that's the four guys that that uh, Nick Saban trusts. You know, uh, kudos to Nick Saban. He did an amazing job as far as coaching this team. I mean, I, it's funny that I mentioned the linebackers in the podcast before the national championship game. And I guess he heard me because he decided to blitz them every single time he possibly could. I mean, Christian Harris and Henry Toto were just like blitzing for fun by, by, by the third quarter. Um, even on the uh, Donnie Mitchell touchdown, it took for a, you know, hell of a pass block from James Cook or Christian Harris is even scot-free on that play in particular comes right through the A-gap and, and is going to crush Stetson Bennett. If it's not for James Cook uh, realizing he's coming in, you know, we could have really used him in the Falcon Super Bowl. We're fine already, you know. We're, we're good over here. Um, you know, so I mean, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I, I, you know, I just think that Georgia said to itself in, this, in that fourth quarter, hey, we 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 we've lost every fourth quarter to Bama up until this point. I was listening to a, a couple of podcasts, and, and Georgia, uh, Bama versus Georgia under Kirby Smart has gone forty-one to seven. That is how bad Bama has killed Georgia in the fourth quarter in the games Kirby Smart has coached in. And I think for the first time, Kirby Smart was like, I want to win a fourth quarter. Like, I, I want to win. Well, I think he quarter. wanted to win all those other fourth quarters, too. You know, probably. It just didn't go that way. You know? <laughs> right. You know, like 41 to 7 is a massive gap, especially when you think about we've only played Bama, I think, five, four or five times since Kirby's been there. You know, so that's ridiculous when you really put it together. Uh, but Georgia won the second half over Betty Bama 20 to 9, uh, 14 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, that was the first thing that Nick Saban said to Kirby Smart when they met at uh, when they met at midfield. He was like, You kicked our butts in the fourth quarter. He didn't say butts, obviously. Uh, but he was like, You kicked our butts in that fourth quarter. Um, and I and genuinely they did. Um, I, I think defensively they did everything right. Coming into the week, obviously I said the corners. Were the, were the number one thing I was worried about, you know, because once again, I didn't, even though John Metchie was out, I didn't trust Darian Kendrick and uh, Keely Ringo to do what they were supposed to do on the back end, be perfectly honest with you. You know, Darian Kendrick had a really good semifinal game. Everybody would remember the two picks, but he got burned four times. And so I was like, okay, coming into this game, is, is Kirby Smart going to be prideful, see what happened in the semifinal game and go, we can do that again. We can replicate it again. Or is he going to say to himself, we're going to blitz. We're going to drop those corners so far away that, you know, Bryce Young's not going to have enough time to throw with 30 yards because our DBs will already be there by the time he looks up. Or are we going to try to rush four and, and, and hope to God we drop seven and he just can't find his own to throw it into? And when I saw those first two drive, first three drives, uh, Scott, that we were a part of, I was ecstatic because he blitzed a heck of a lot. Yeah, it, it yeah. killed us. Yeah, it killed us a couple of times. But I was like, this is the most Kirby's blitz all year. Like, 
easily the most he's blitzed. And not just one guy, not the N'Kobe Dean coming, you know, on a delayed blitz. He was sending N'Kobe Dean. He was sending Tyndall. Trayvon Walker would come in. Quay Walker would have a time. I think he even sent a couple of safety blitzes for the funsies. Like, he was just blitzing. I, I, I think he got a little too blitz happy at one point in the game. Um, I was like, hey, Kirby, you know, we're up by a touchdown now. Chill out. Uh, but <laughs> at the same time, I was like, Hey, I get it. You got your foot on the gas pedal. Your defense has played great all game. I'm not even going to give them the touch. I'm not going to take the touchdown on the defense because they literally started from their own seven. So if you get if you take that away, they gave up 12 points total. You know, so like when you when you really look at it like that, I think Kirby played probably or coached probably the best defensive game against uh, in a game of this magnitude probably since the Auburn SEC championship game. Honestly, um, I'm not going to give you know. Genuinely, that's probably the best defensive performance he's coached up since then. And that was, what, 2018, 2017, 2018? Uh, so I, I give kudos to Kirby for not being too prideful. That is something that all Georgia fans were worried about coming to this week. Not for the defense. They were worried about Stetson Bennett, which I think I was the only person coming into this game that had any kind of confidence about him whatsoever. Um, if you follow me on Instagram or if you it's Xavier underscore Trish as well, if you follow me on Twitter, tip your mailman. So tip your USPS mail drivers, please, this week, you know, uh, a dollar. You know, if you need a tip, I'll, I'll send you like 50 cents on Cash App if that's possible, if that's what you need to give. <laughs> like, tip your mailman this week because Stetson got it done. And, and I'll tell you right now, man, my DMs by halftime, not too positive on the Stetson Bennett trend. They were like, well, if Kirby Smart was Nick Saban, well, JT would be the quarterback to start off. Remember when he got rid of Jalen Hurts in that national championship for Tua? I mean, the literal message was writing itself. It was like, oh, JT's going to come in. He's going to have a great second half. And now I'm going to have to hear that for the next six months. Okay, great. Stetson, can you please, on God's green earth, turn it around? Because I need you to right now because I've been one of your only backers up until this point. Because my whole thing was, doesn't matter how stuff's in place. If the defense holds them to 12 points, which for the most part they were doing, we're going to win this game regardless. And, you know, Stetson obviously not makes one, but makes two really good throws. Um, you know, the Brock Bowers throw, in my opinion, was the one I, you know, everybody's going to talk about the the one to Donnie Mitchell. The Brock Bowers throw, in my opinion, was just as impressive. I mean, this is a guy, you know, throwing down the barrel of a safety coming in who's trying to kill him. And he could have easily thrown it behind Brock Bowers, which would have ended in a fumble. He could have easily thrown it to Jordan Battle, which would have been the most ironic thing ever for him to throw two pick sixes to a guy in back-to-back -back games against him. You know, he gets it over the top. Uh, Jordan Battle smacks him in the face, right? He's sitting there confidently, you know, smacking his own self in the face, trying to tell the bench that the flag is on them in the most Stetson Bennett thing to do possible. And, you know, he, he gives it to Brock Bowers, who probably people will completely forget completely scot-free i mean just walks into the end zone it was you know and, and that's what i mean todd munkin just let it go he said okay cool i'm gonna call whatever i want to call here it's third and one i know we've been running the ball pretty well let me throw a, a tight end screen out here on the bubble just 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 to see if we can catch the defense off guard and he did and so as a georgia fan obviously i was able to finally stop crying after the highlights probably around <laughs> 10 o'clock this morning uh I, I think i've watched everybody else's reaction that they posted to social media as well um, i can finally get rid of this and i'm, I'm gonna be really ecstatic about this but this is a georgia blanket that i've had since i was like six years old and uh, I think my mom <laughs> finally he's showing really it to us right bad. now it's yeah. uh i mean yeah, it, so. it 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 doesn't look bad for since but, uh, six years old I it's, mean, it's, it's not bad it's at all washed to death um 
I, I, I literally don't even use it anymore. It's been sitting in the corner of my room, but I told my mom with Georgia playing as well as they have been, I can't get rid of it because it'll be, it'll, it, it's my, you know, obviously superstitions. I was like, yeah, it's going to stay with me for the rest of this season until Georgia wins the national title. And the first thing it's funny, obviously Scott, I was watching the national championship in DC. I was at home. The first thing it's, it's literally at the bottom of the dirty clothes hamper. Like she was like, I'm getting rid of this thing. Like this is going, <laughs> this is getting out of here. Uh, Cause I got home. I was like, mom, where's the blanket? And she was like, Calm down. It's at the bottom of the. It's at the bottom of the thing. You get rid of it when you want to. Congratulations! I was like, yes, <laughs> blanket and I finally got us one. All of the years of this blanket and I being the only thing in my room that represents Georgia up until I was like seventeen years old, because obviously my dad's an LSU fan. He was like, I'm gonna give you the blanket. That's it. Um, you know, it, you know that was just it, it was bliss. Uh, I haven't gone completely broke buying national championship things. Not yet. I was going to say, I haven't seen, uh, I don't see your hat yet, but you were obviously not in town uh, to buy I, that stuff. I, I have a friend who works at Dick Sporting Goods. He has all my stuff put to the side. I, I made the necessary calls already. Uh, but I haven't gone completely broke yet, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. But there will be, you know, over the summer, you will start to see Georgia plaques. Uh, of course, you know, somewhere over here in the back of here. I did you know, ask maybe. Nick, I did ask Xavier before uh, the game started. I said, if Georgia wins this, is this bigger than the Braves win? Because the Braves just won the World Series, too. Georgia doing pretty good for themselves recently. Yeah, we are. Uh, so, uh, you know, he said, yeah, it'll be bigger because I played college football. So, you know, uh, obviously just knowing the game a little bit more uh, was a big thing. And also, I mean, Xavier, we want to talk about record set. You at least doubled next time uh, talking about yeah, the breakdown right? <laughs> of the national championship. Uh, impossible <laughs> records that can never be broken. Uh, I thought that was probably number one. That's like Will's 100-point game. Uh, yeah, it, seriously. It, you doubled next time talking about this game. It was incredible, man. Like, and, and to have it be so tight, like Xavier mentioned, up until the fourth quarter was uh, crazy. And, um, you know, you mentioned the the – tight end screen is your favorite throw. I think the one that's going to be like Nick said, it's going to go down to Georgia history was that Stetson Bennett throw on the, you know, to jump off sides. Cause it was perfect to a Mitchell, you know, uh, but uh, the best throw in the game was Bryce young to Latu for, for the touchdown because he threw across his body. I mean, it looked like some Patrick Mahomes, Matt Stafford, no look pass. It was incredible. And he, he hit many an open guy in the hands and they just dropped the ball. I mean, how many did Brooks drop? You know, Latu dropped a couple, like you said. There the were one so the hall many was drops. Perfect. Hall dropped so many. The one to hall like, at least four. <laughs> where Bryce Young is being I mean, two he gets hit from he, he cooked gets, that in, corner. He in, cooked in, 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 yeah, in the NFL, that's roughing the passer because he gets hit low and high and he throws it right over the outstretched arms of Christopher Smith into the waiting hands of of Hall, who just, I mean, hands like frying pans, just bounces Plank. off. I mean, it would have right. walked into the end zone. I mean, just would have walked into it. I was just like, whew, man, these freshmen are really helping us out tonight. So, <laughs> so we're, we're going to put the, the national championship to bed for now. Obviously, we'll talk about it throughout the, yeah, the season good. because, you know, Xavier won't be able to shut up about it. So, uh, <laughs> which, look. If Texas won, I would be the same way, dude. So I'm not. I'm not calling out. I gotta get the similar backdrop to Scott. I gotta get yeah, the, man. the jersey. Yeah, I, the jersey I, I the still have box. my Vince Young. Yeah. It's still one of my best memories in my life, dude. So I'm right there with you. I get it. <laughs> but uh, we do uh, only have like an hour left. So uh, <laughs> reflecting on the rest of the season outside of the national championship, Nick. I mean, I think the things that I'll remember the most are you know Michigan finally getting over the hump against Ohio State. 
Uh, the one of the craziest Red River rivalry games I've ever seen in my life. Unfortunately, not ending the right way, of course. Um, you know, uh, there are uh, Alabama losing their first game to a non-ranked opponent in 100 games was uh, crazy. So there are lots and lots of big moments to pick from this season. So when you reflect back, Nick, what what are the things that stand out to you from the 2021 uh, college football season? <laughs> Well, I think it's, uh, for me, mostly, uh, you know, a lot of big picture things. Uh, This season, after, you know, what we went through last year, we were really fortunate that it felt much more normal. Crowds, you know, were a much bigger factor this year. Um, There were, it seemed like every week when we were getting together and and talking about, um, you know, recapping the the previous set of games. I mean, it was, uh, you know, half a dozen uh, nail biters that just went down to the last second, upset after upset. So I think just from a uh, pure excitement standpoint, it was... um, you know, that that's what I think sticks with me most. It, it's not necessarily uh, this particular play or, or, you know, that particular outcome, but it just seemed like every week um, the, 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 you know, stakes were so high. There were so many great games and just, you know, felt, felt like a full great season. And, and um, yeah, not a, not a specific moment, but just the, the, the whole package, I guess um, was just, it just felt really good. It, it just felt like a really uh, solid season with uh, so much excitement to offer week after week and and really until the very end. And, and of course, the final score uh, looks a little more, um, you know, looks a little bigger, you know, two, two scores in the national championship game. But that for the, the first, you know, or really the second half, I guess, where it, where it uh, just felt so much tighter. Um or just felt so, uh, you know, the, the quality of play, I guess, took a little bit of a step up. Um, felt like an instant classic type game until the very end. And, and the pick six, you know, kind of got away. The scorer got away from from that, uh, you know, what we think of as being a, a, an instant classic or an all-timer. But to have the biggest game of the year, you know, be so close and played so tight for, for most of it, I think was just uh, sort of the, the perfect cap to what was the most exciting season that, you know, I can remember in, in recent years for sure. And, you know, something that you said, and I should have said, first off, just having the, the crowds back in the stands was uh, enormous, especially those first couple of weeks where you see just huge, enormous crowds uh, there. It was a lot of fun. So Xavier, uh, of course, Georgia winning the national championship is what 2021 will be. Uh, this season will be remembered as, but what, what else um, do you reflect back and, and think about when you think of this season? Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know, uh, two, four, seven sports has a podcast. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they call it 2021 a Renaissance year. And I think that this, that was, that's a perfect name for it. You know, uh, not having, you know, yeah. Georgia winning the national championship uh, is great. The late kick with uh, yes. the Tate. Mm-hmm. a uh, one of one of the best shows out there, in my opinion, for sure. All the all the daily ins and outs, but yeah, he's okay. he's been he's been on that all year for sure. Yeah, and you know, I, Georgia winning a national championship is great, but I think really when it hit me um, was week three 
when Auburn played Penn State. And I was like, the fans are back. Like, it, it was one yeah. thing for, you know, Georgia to play Clemson in a neutral site game. Obviously, that was massive. But, you know, to get some of this, get the scenes back that, that we missed in 2020, right? You know, that, that was a, a whiteout game on a, on a Saturday night. You know, what a massive game that was. That came down to a final drive from Auburn that just fell short, right? You know, you, you, you look at, uh, the, you know, even, even some of the lowlights, quote-unquote lowlights, you know, Tennessee game against Ole Miss, you know, honey mustard bottles or honey bottle uh, mustard bottles, excuse me, and golf balls, right? You know, you have, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin telling everybody before the game, get your popcorn ready. Like, these are just some of the small things that made this season ridiculous. Iowa being the number two team in the country for, for what was that, two, three weeks, right? Purdue being the giant slayer, not beating one, but two uh, number two teams in the country this year. Uh, you know, the rise uh, of Arkansas, you know, them being Texas and AM in the same year, which maybe hasn't happened since the Big Eight, right? Like this and almost beat Ole Miss. I mean, exactly. they, they played some great football. Pittman almost beat Alabama. I mean, that game was 42 35. Yeah. yeah. They were just, uh, you know, not out of uh, nowhere, know, but uh, kind of out of nowhere. Saban losing. Yeah. I mean, we had talked about it, right? Before the season, Arkansas was a team that we uh, overperformed the year before, right? We were like, well, now without Felipe Franks, they're probably going to go back to where they were, you know, just, just a cool team to talk about, you know, a 6-6 six six ball club at best. And at one point in the year, you know, you're thinking about, well, maybe this is a team that can compete with, you know, some of the higher tiers in the SEC. And you think of, you know, outside of really, like I said, outside of really the Georgia game, they did do so. You know, there was just a lot of really cool stories from this game. Obviously, you know, Michigan beating Ohio State, and not just them beating Ohio State, but then beating them in a, in a, in a in the cold, not just in the snow, right? In the driving snow, you know, all the fans are still there. You've got a bunch of Michigan and Ohio State fans shirtless, which crazy. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I just can't even imagine that stuff, man. Be, being no, a, a Southern boy my whole life, like living in <laughs> Houston and Phoenix. I just can't imagine going shirtless to one of them cold games. Exactly. Uh, and it's so funny to me because they wear like a beanie gloves but no shirt on so it's like my even, head my i wouldn't head. even want to be at the game like in full gear so uh that stuff is just crazy to me yeah uh you know and i just so many games and so many like i feel like this season you know and i think this is one of the probably first one of the g5 best we didn't even mention it first g5 team to g5 make team the in the playoff yeah, yeah only g5 team to make the playoff up to up until yeah. this point right you know and that came down to you know what? You know the Big Twelve championship game, which ended in literal inches. You know Oklahoma State scores. Who knows what happens, right? Who knows what situation that comes from? If Oklahoma State can literally get the ball over the over the you know break the plane, you know, and one of the best uh, finishes in a game all year, you know. So, I, you know, and it all started, and they talked about it on the late kick in particular. You know, the, the first game, first you know big game of the year was Notre Dame, Florida State. We remember how yeah. good that game was, right? You know, Florida State's rocking, literal cameras shaking up and down, you know, as Florida State's mounting a comeback against Notre Dame. Yeah, they ended up losing, and Florida State was pretty much an afterthought by, like, week five. But what a way to start uh, the year. Mackenzie Milton that night, too. Exactly, right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, even though they didn't win the game, um, who was it? Was it was it Samford? That went up on 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 Florida midway through the or, or at the, towards the end of the yeah year, yeah in a shootout in the first half and you know they're doing the gritty in the end zone and I was they, at Kansas's <laughs> biggest win in win, uh, football yeah. history yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly I mean what and that, that that's, was the same day by the way that was the Sanford mm -hmm. first half same day you know yeah. it's a it's a crazy year um, you know UCLA beats the brakes off of USC for probably the first time and. 
my lifetime at least got it. UCLA beating LSU was big early in the year too. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, and so I just think that you know what a, what a year you know for us as college football fans to get that after the 2020 year was just felt like sanitized and, and was obviously short. It just didn't feel like, you know, college football at, at its best, you know, and this year you had several weeks where we were like, well, what's the, be- what's the best game of the week this week? Like it wasn't just like one stapled on, like this is the best game of the week, period, point blank. It was like, no, this one's got this narrative and this one's got these implications that are added on to it. And, and you know, you know, Michigan State beating Michigan and things of that nature, which probably leads to Mel Tucker getting the biggest coach salary, you know, uh, uh, extension, uh, you know, of the year, you know, we obviously even early signing day with Travis Hunter going to Jackson state that happened like in, in a quote unquote dead period of the year, right. In between championship games, boom, you know, a guy decides the number one player in the country decides to go to an HBCU. So great year. I think this was probably one of my favorites had to be, I mean, obviously for, for, for obvious reasons, <laughs> but just in general, one of my favorite years, I think the only year that competes with it, um, is when West, I think it was West Virginia had a chance to go and be the number one team in the country. I think it was, or they, it was, it was a while. I can't remember what year that was. The Pat, Pat White year was uh, like 2008 or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but they had like four or five number one changes in that year. You know, I think, and, and things. Geno Smith, not Pat White. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Geno Smith going into Austin and beating the doors off the Longhorns. <laughs> and I was just super shocked. So, um, but yeah, man, I mean, this was, uh, this is one for the books for sure. And like Nick said, just getting back to it and, and you know, seeing the people in the stands and, uh, you know, getting back to a normal, uh, a normal season, you know, it's not a normal year, of course, uh, still a lot of stuff going on, uh, in the world, but, uh, more normal, you know, we even saw, you know, COVID still crept in and canceled a couple bowl games and, uh, stuff like that. So hopefully, um, you know, that's the end of it, but who knows at this point uh, as far as the world goes. But let's uh, move now to just how did we finish out the year as far as the power rankings, Nick? I know uh, we, you can get all of them on Patreon, but of course, Georgia one, Bama two. Who's three? Who's four? Uh, how did the season end out uh, when we're looking uh, at the whole picture? So last week we discussed it a little little bit and I wasn't quite ready to uh, have have made all the adjustments and and just sort of re uh, you know because we had so many players opt out and, and we've had some injuries that impacted the last uh, few weeks of the season and all that and, and as I'm uh, going through team by team and updating things like you know game started games played snap counts all that good stuff um, kind of want to give a full picture of the season. And so there were, you know, we, we mentioned Texas A&M when we were kind of uh, speculating as who, who could be a top five team in 2022. And at the time it was difficult to imagine Texas A&M for me because they were 30th in our power rankings because they had, you know, before their bowl game was unfortunately canceled, had so many guys opt out when they went to the NFL draft or, you know, had, quarterback transfer and, and things like that. Um, so they had fallen quite a bit, but that wasn't an accurate uh, snapshot of where Texas A&M was for the entire season. So, you know, go through and, and put the opt-outs back at full strength, put the injured guys, if not at full strength, you know, cause they played 
90% of the season or whatever, um, put them at least back in the mix for some teams like, you know, Auburn, Bo Nix wasn't the, the quarterback for the entire year. So he and TJ Finley ended up kind of getting a split in that. And so that affected the ranking, but real quick. Yeah. Georgia, number one, Alabama, number two, not to anybody's surprise, uh, Ohio state still, you know, holding strong at number three, that might surprise some folks, maybe even anger some folks, especially when you see where Michigan is on this list. Um, but Cincinnati, number four, uh, you know, legitimate playoff team, at least as far as our power rankings go. Oklahoma, number five. I know that probably will get me laughed at, uh, but certainly they had some disappointing uh, parts of the season, but still really high in roster strength and uh, had some good moments as, as well. Had had a solid season, uh, finished um, pretty, you know, pretty high in, in uh, overall team performance, which we'll talk about in greater depth next week. But, you know, they, they still played like um, a top 20 team on the field and a, a really, really solid offense. But uh, anyway, Notre Dame, number six. Texas A&M number seven, Clemson number eight. They never fell, you know, super far uh, despite the early season struggles. Uh, Michigan finished at number nine, but I, I must say that that um, really that four through nine, or really four through eleven, because Oklahoma State and Utah are, are ten and eleven, are really really tight. I mean, there's there's a much uh, smaller margin as far as the actual ratings go for that group than it is, you know. Georgia and Alabama are pretty clear one and two, um, but that that four through eleven is is pretty tight. So even though it might, you know, some people look very skeptical at, at Michigan at number nine, uh, but that's you know they're they're not far off uh, from from that group in the the four or five range. Um, but Wisconsin, Iowa State uh, had opportunities early on to maybe make it a special season and, and had some struggles. Um, Pitt, you know, really did, did capitalize on that there. They finished 14th, Ole Miss 15th. Um, and then there are some, because these are power rankings, they do, you know, uh, rely on, uh, talent as a, as the biggest part of it, probably, you know, definitely get some weird looks with Florida at number 16, but just from a pure talent standpoint, you know, that was a team that some might argue maybe quit towards the end of the year. And of course, Dan Mullen uh, ends up getting fired. But uh, as we look ahead to 2022, I wouldn't expect them to, uh, you know, be far, you know, from that kind of top 15, top 20 type team because the talent, I think, is is certainly there. UCLA 17, Houston 18. That's, that's going to be an interesting one looking ahead. NC State 19, Arizona State 20, Coastal Carolina uh, was number 21. Tennessee snuck into the top 25 toward the end of the season and, and really, I think, uh, starts 2022 in a, in a good spot. Uh, they're 22nd in our final power rankings. Kentucky 23rd, Baylor 24th, probably surprised some people would have thought that they'd be much higher, played like a top 10 team for a lot of the year. But the talent profile, not quite, you know, the way we look at things uh, doesn't necessarily line up with, with that type of team for us. And then Oregon 25th. Uh, for us, we won't go through the, the whole rest of the list, but uh, as you mentioned on Patreon, they're always on our team profiles, uh, these power rankings. Um, but I did put together, you know, a, a list with a lot of the different ratings and rankings, uh, roster strength and, you know, coaching ratings, team performance, 
all that good stuff. Uh, put that together for all of our Patreon members. Um, the team profiles are available for our tier two Patreon members and have a lot more detail, but did want to put uh, this out there for everybody so that they could see the, the ratings and rankings as well. But uh, probably some surprises, you know, obviously with some surprising teams, maybe not where you would expect in the top 10, top 25, certainly some of those throughout the entire list as well. But uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, that's available to you. If you're interested in becoming one uh, or interested in, in, you know, getting a, a deeper look at these ratings, where they come from, you know, why some of those surprising ones might be, uh, would certainly, you know, love your support on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash the Epi winning edge. And, uh, you know, kind of turning around and, and looking ahead to what's coming up there. Like I mentioned, we are, are doing a lot of updates in the FBS team profiles. Normally, this time of year is is kind of quiet for those. We kind of finalize things in the early weeks of January and then turn to 2022, make a new set of sheets. And really, I'm the only one that sees it for a few months. Uh, I'm going to treat it a little bit different this year where I'm going to make all those final updates for you know playing time and things like that for 2021 in the sheets, continue to update all the transfers and, and all of that. So all of our Patreon supporters tier two and up get those kind of the, the full amount of value as that's happening. And then on April 1st, be able to switch, you know, flip the switch and go to the 2022 sheets and they'll be, you know, fully updated and, and shouldn't be uh, much of a, a you know, uh, a period of downtime or transition there, but also, and I've touched on this a little bit, uh, I think in, in past shows, but I'm going to be doing more written content on Patreon, including uh, daily previews. So all 130 teams, like I've already started, got the, the doc up and, and I'm putting together everything for our UMass preview, finished 130 for us. Uh, so getting all that up and, and starting from 130, moving to number one, uh, those will kick off for us February 3rd. So uh, in years past, uh, you know, maybe our, our Patreon supporters, I always felt like maybe weren't getting the full amount of value, especially, you know, when they continue to support us in the uh, early, early off season and early spring and, and things like that. Um, we've had some really, really loyal folks and, and fortunately in years past haven't uh, seen a huge drop off after the season ends and in that type of support, but wanted to do everything possible this year um, to really give as much value as, as possible for those. So uh, if you're supporting us on Patreon, do you know keep an eye out uh, for more written content, especially those previews starting in February 3rd. And we'll touch on them here and, and have some shows dedicated to those as well. But, uh, you know, the, the big thing, yeah, we want to uh, provide a little more value in that early off season, kind of in the the deadest you know portion of the calendar uh, for those folks who are, who are, you know, being so generous and, and offering us support, whether it's for a full season, whether it's for, uh, a single month or, or what have you, but uh, that's some things to to certainly look forward to as we're putting uh, you know putting 2021 uh, to bed, getting everything finalized, and and won't be too long before we are actually you know turning and and it won't be way too early 2022. It's going to be actual 2022 previews here before long. And, and, you know, the transfer portal keeps you busy. We know that, uh, obviously a lot going on and, you know, you think the coaching carousel is done, but 
It might not be because we're going to have some NFL jobs that just opened up. There's going to be some college coaches from some level moving towards the NFL here as you know, some of these uh, staffs get revamped and rehauled. And there's been some interest in some head coaches in the NFL. Last week, of course, we discussed Jim Harbaugh and the potential. I know there, the rumors were Miami, but Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, came out and said, I'm not going to be the guy to take Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan. So um, that kind of got put to bed. But now we're hearing that Lane Kiffin has potentially some ties to the Minnesota job that Mike Zimmer was just uh, fired from. So, I mean, I don't think he would go anywhere, but, you know, it's Lane Kiffin, and you can never rule him out of any job opening, it seems, Nick. So um, what do you think the odds that he leaves Oxford are? Uh, I, I feel like they're low, but uh, like I said, he's a little bit of a gambler, so you can't really count him out. I struggled with this a little bit to put an actual number on it and kind of think about it like we talked about last week with Jim Harbaugh, where there are so few jobs available in the NFL. And I certainly see why a college coach would take one of those jobs if offered. Uh, Kiffin specifically seems like a really, really good fit in, in the college game is a great recruiter in addition to um, just being a guy that, you know, a coach that players seem to like to play for, has a lot of success, great offensive mind, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I feel like my answer would be kind of the same to where if it's offered, yeah, he, he might definitely be uh, tempted to go. And maybe the one thing that makes it a, a tiny bit more likely than it might feel at first, he's just lost both his coordinators, his offensive coordinator left Jeff Levy to go to Oklahoma. That's kind of a, you know, going home situation. So don't really, uh, you know, knock him for that. Certainly that's a, a situation where you can envision somebody taking a little bit of a uh, lateral move. Uh, but DJ Durkin's defensive coordinator has, has also taken a bit of a lateral move going to Texas A&M. And there's some other staffers that have moved on. And, and a lot of times in those situations, you know, whether it's it's not necessarily because guys are moving on, but maybe those guys uh, jump at an opportunity to move because they know that, hey, if the head man gets this opportunity, he might be jumping to the NFL. And, and then I've seen, you know, some rumors, but also some hints from reporters that there might, at least in the early you know hours right after the news came out, that that Minnesota Vikings job is there are some there's some interest in Kiffin you know I don't know if he's actually going to end up getting it usually you don't have just one uh you know one guy in mind necessarily an NFL team I'm sure is going to uh, have a lot of conversations a lot of interviews but you know maybe maybe that's the one and, and maybe he jumps and that could uh like we said last week with Harbaugh Michigan get, get this coaching carousel going again um I I don't have a, uh, you know, handicapping a specific number. I, I guess I would uh, kind of uh, take the easy way out and say 50-50. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I feel like it's more likely. I, it seems like I, this would be 75 to 25% against if it was anyone that wasn't Lane Kiffin, I think. Mm. But because it's Lane Kiffin, we've seen him jump before. I think, you know, 
it has to be closer to 50-50. Xavier, what do, what do you think about the potential for Lane Kiffin to move from Ole Miss to Minnesota? Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think that he got that jumping out of his uh, you know, out of his repertoire early in his career, or do you mm-hmm. think that he's going? I think he stays. I, I don't think there's even a, a chance he goes to Minnesota. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Lance, uh, no, <clears throat> Lance. He does not Lane. strike me as an Lane, Lane. Lane does not strike me as an NFL coach. I'd be completely honest with you. I, I would just keep it a comp- the way he acts and the way he the way he is more so so much of a rah rah guy. That bodes terribly in a guy in a situation where you go into the NFL. That sounds like a two years and out guy, like literally like a complete burnout kind of guy. That works with eighteen and nineteen year olds. That doesn't work with that. Does, that really works with twenty-seven and twenty-eight-year-old men with two with a job and three kids and a mortgage to pay for. It just it just doesn't have the same kind of effect. On top of that, could you imagine <clears throat> Lane Kiffin on a Sunday talking about get your popcorn ready? I mean, this would just be not a situation that you know his his GM or his <laughs> owner would be a, too much of a fan of. Uh, I think it's a you know you kick the tires on him because of, he's such a great offensive mind. But I think Lane really likes being. The, the head coach of Ole Miss. I think he's found a place that he can create his own legacy uh, in his own way. He's not really coming after anybody else either. You know, Ole Miss is, you know, you know, top tier head coaches. You know, Lane could probably surpass them if he wins one national title, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he's in a situation where, and then on top of that, he could beat he can Nick beat Nick Saban once a year. I mean, that's, a, that's as enticing as it possibly could be. You know, with Lane, I, I think he wants to do that in his future. Obviously, you saw how jacked up he was for that game. I just think he's got some unfinished business in college football before he makes a move like that. Uh, you know, let's let's make sure they can make you know win an SEC championship game before I think he makes a move in that direction. Uh, I think maybe at this point, I think the the rumors were not necessarily the rumors, but the propensity for him to move are is a little bit of his past preceding him a little bit. Uh, obviously, with him jumping ship. Uh, uh, in his past. I think he stays at Ole Miss for at least a couple more years. Maybe sees out another recruiting cycle, be perfectly honest with you. Maybe he gets another guy, a quarterback he really enjoys three, four years. Then maybe we start talking about him maybe leaving to a bigger job, whether that be the NFL uh, or more than one of your uh, five-star programs like a Florida or or a Texas or something rather like that. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of moving pieces and that could be a huge one, but I, I'm I'm going to say he sticks. So I guess I'll go 51% against 49% he moves. But uh, we'll, we'll see. That That's uh, the big rumor right now. But let's talk about the transfer portal uh, for a second here, Nick, because, I mean, I can't believe that we're going to start out by talking about this team, and my guy Chad is going to love it, but Arizona is making significant moves in the transfer portals. Javier and I were talking about during our live stream of the national championship. They've been making some crazy moves. Jane Delora uh, just moved there too. So, um, I mean, that's a big one. Cincinnati has been rebuilding through the portal. Ben Bryant's coming back. Um, they got uh, Nick Mardner from Hawaii, Miami, Ohio linebacker, Ivan Pace, and a couple other teams, Florida state, South Carolina. You're going to mention Alabama and m here as well, Nick, but uh, Arizona, Right now, it's just crushing the portal. Absolutely. And yeah, Delora, of course, is the big name. Uh, but Jedfish has proven that he can recruit. And a little bit of a surprise because he, he's, he's been uh, in and out of the NFL and, and you know, had college experience in quite a few different places, but uh, has definitely, I mean, we talk about guys taking taking one job after the other 
Jed Fish is kind of that as an assistant who knows maybe it'll work out where he wants to be in Arizona long term or, or you know, prove that he's capable of doing it at a really high level uh, elsewhere. But they did some rebuilding last year in the transfer portal, brought in uh, multiple quarterbacks, brought in uh, quite a few linebackers, brought in uh, quite a few Arizona natives. Just, you know, there's there has been some success with teams that uh, are in a area where there's a lot of talent. Guys tend to leave and, and go, you know, experience something else. Uh, another place we've seen it in the, you know, Dallas Metroplex, right? Um, we've seen uh, some, you know, California schools in, in the Mountain West have had some success. Uh, guys that went for, you know, Pac-12 offers or whatever come back um, and, and, you know, find a, a spot. And it seems like there's a little bit of success with that for guys from Arizona, guys from Southern California in Arizona. And, you know, Delora being from Hawaii is, is a little bit of a different case. But uh, Jacob Cowan, big time playmaker at UTEP, is an Arizona native. Uh, he had offers from some big you know, big programs. He released one of those, you know, final four in uh, Arizona got the the nod over, you know, Oregon, for example, team a lot closer to Pac-12 championship level. And, and uh, certainly in, in a lot of people's conversations for early, you know, playoff top 10, top 20 type team. Um, but Cowling's going back to Arizona and, and going to make a big uh, splash there was able to, you know, bring guys from places like USC, Michigan, a couple of UCLA transfers on defense. And it's just, uh, you know, that is is interesting to me because we've seen some teams, and I'm not saying Arizona is the next Michigan State, uh, you know, somebody who or a team who goes through and, and completely rebuilds their roster and becomes, you know, a, a top 25 team. Um through the transfer portal, but Arizona's making some of those same positive moves and somewhat similarly, I mean, Mel Tucker uh, has, has long been a great recruiter and has had some success recruiting uh, high school players to Michigan state as well, but Arizona's doing that. I mean, they're, they're 20th right now in the two, four, seven composite rankings, right? I mean, I'm counting five, four star uh, high school players, uh, including some guys who made some splashes in, you know, all-star games and, and things like that. So Arizona is a really, really intriguing team to me right now. Partly they're going to be fairly early in that preview, you know, written preview series. So I'm already starting to research them and rewatch some of their games and things like that. So they're kind of top of mind finishing 107th in our power rankings, but they're making a lot of positive steps and I think have an opportunity to be, you know, maybe one of the biggest winners once all is said and done and the transfer portal carousel kind of starts to slow down a little bit. But there's some other, you know, teams, as you mentioned, who are popping up uh, uh, quite a bit as well. Cincinnati doing some interesting things. I mean, you know, Ivan Pace was probably the name that maybe our listeners might be the, the least familiar with. Uh, but he had a huge year. I mean, incredibly productive uh, pass rusher, you know, linebacker, edge guy for Miami of Ohio. Nick Mardner, really intriguing prospect, a big target, had some success at, at Hawaii uh, even after 
that offense transitioned from a pass happy to a little bit more of a, a run based offense. He was still able to come up with some big plays, but Florida state had some success with the transfer portal last year. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, right. You know, former uh, Georgia starter wasn't on the field, maybe enough as much as he wanted to, just because they were so deep might've played himself into becoming a first round pick after going to Florida state and, and getting a lot more playing time and just becoming incredibly disruptive. But Florida State has uh, really rebuilt their receiving core. Guys like Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson, Winston Wright Jr. Uh, just in the last you know few weeks. But a name maybe that people should uh, know that that might be you know might not have rung a bell to a lot of people. Deuce Span, who transferred from Illinois, uh, was a quarterback, made the transition to wide receiver in season this year. And has got a lot of tools, just really, really athletic guy. It's going to be very interesting to me to see how he plays, you know, how he moves up to the next uh, level, Um, changing positions. You know, that's going to be interesting. Florida State also brought in one of the uh, more highly regarded FCS transfers, Jared Verse, uh, a defensive lineman from Albany. Um, You know, those are guys that we haven't dug in quite yet. Any FCS transfers, or most, I should say, quarterbacks, I I have uh, made a couple of of, um, moves on yet. But most of those FCS transfers haven't dug in yet and gotten all the production points, so don't have their new uh, individual player rating, you know, fully built out yet. But uh, he's going to be, I think, somebody who's going to start at Florida State. be very interesting. South Carolina, we've talked about before. I mean, Spencer Rattler, that's a huge, huge name whether or not it works out as, as uh, you know, they hope they're at South Carolina, but he's not the only one. I mean, they, Christian Beal Smith, just this past week, who was a starter at Wake Forest, uh, Antoine Wells, another FCS transfer from James Madison, who maybe not a lot of, you know, casual fans or, or fans who pay a ton of attention to the SEC might not know, but he was absolutely killing it at James Madison uh, and is going to be moving on to South Carolina with multiple years of eligibility left a couple of of, uh safety transfers there um have have come in you know most notably or excuse me a a defensive end uh terrell dawkins from nc state had a big year as a freshman fell off a little bit this year but still high ceiling devani reed from central michigan was an all mac type player so you know south carolina is not only getting the biggest of names former five-star quarterback who a lot of people thought was a first round pick coming into this year, but they're also really scouring, you know, and, and last year they relied on some FCS guys and, and things like that, but they are going all levels um, and, and being really creative, it seems like, and in, in what they're doing. And then last but not least, yeah, Alabama a you know, Jackson State's making a lot of headlines and, and Xavier mentioned them, you know, bringing in five-star uh, number one ranked player, also brought in a, a, at least one other four star just in the last week or two, but every another five time, star too. I mean, they're they, you know absolutely they're mm-hmm. killing it. And with Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, right? Obviously, he's going to catch more headlines than most. But it seems like I don't know ten percent of the time when I see uh, a new commit for uh, you know on on the two four seven Twitter or the rivals Twitter, both of those have have transfer portal uh, handles that do a great job, help me out a lot, trying to to keep on top of all these things. But Alabama A and M is just getting uh, FCS 
transfer after FCS transfer, a lot of them P5 guys. I haven't gone in and, and you know, tallied up the, the whole list yet. Uh, but that's one thing I'm interested to do because, hey, Alabama A&M might be a threat to Jackson State and, and you know, in the swack for uh, just most talented roster, uh, if nothing else. But one thing, and, and I'll end with this, going back a little bit to what we can look ahead to in, in 2022, part of the reason we're doing things that we're doing, uh, doing all the 2021 updates before we turn over to the 2022 sheets is because we're a little bit ahead of schedule, believe it or not, and going to have a little bit more time to maybe put together uh, some better FCS ratings. I did some generic stand-ins this year, uh, but I'm interested to look at, you know, what does Jackson State's roster actually look like compared to uh, FBS teams, Alabama and m the big time, you know, uh, one, obviously there's three teams transitioning to FBS, James Madison, uh, Sam Houston State, and Jacksonville State that we're going to be, you know, part of that preview series eventually. Won't do it right away, but um, what do those rosters need to build those out as they transition, but also dig in a little bit more because, you know, 90 plus percent of FBS teams play an FCS opponent want to be able to give a little bit better projections there as well. But yeah, Alabama AM is just, you know, FCS team, HBCU. Uh, but, but I think somewhat quietly building a really, really talented roster through the transfer board. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, what do you think about Arizona, you know, Cincy, these other teams building from the transfer portal and it's just, you know, it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the game. I feel like every single week um, and maybe I'm just naive to the moves that have already happened. But to me, mm -hmm. it seems, you know, like recruiting the transfer portal is almost just as big as recruiting, you know, high school kids. It's unbelievable oh, yeah. the way these teams can build now. Exactly. And we all, we've seen last year, you know, Kenneth Walker goes to Michigan State, has probably the best season of any running back in college football. Almost what a Heisman. A transfer. Exactly. And, and, you know, you look at it that way, and there's going to be guys this year who transfer who are going to make massive splashes. Obviously, the amount of quarterbacks that have moved already, you know, Nick brings up Spencer Rattler, but we talked about Michael Penix. Uh, John Rice Plumley transferred to UCF and is going to be playing quarterback. Uh, you know, he's somebody I talked about, you know, being excited about last week. Obviously, Calzada, Max Johnson. I mean, just as of right now, so many teams now can come in to next year a little bit more comfortable at the quarterback position purely because of the transfer portal. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And I think that when you look at it that way, uh, oh, where did the the kid from Incarnate Word go to? Was it? Oh, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks in just a second. Oh, okay, cool, yeah, cool, man, cool, there's cool. Yeah. a lot of quarterbacks moving and, and you know, uh, a lot of other big time positions and, and uh, Arizona. I mean, I mean, it's just crazy with these. I mean, right now. ridiculous. But and funny enough, and this is I think I think this is as indicative of the transfer portal as anything. Right. Georgia and Alabama finished the national championship game the following day. Seven players from Alabama into the transfer portal, two players from Georgia into the transfer portal. I think that is just like so indicative of where we are now with the transfer portal and what teams like Arizona and others can build upon when you've even got two teams who are in the national title and then, you know, having kids into the transfer portal, some of which played, you know, Drew Sanders into the transfer portal. Jaleel Billingsley was one of them. Amir Speed for Georgia started the national championship, decided to end up going to the transfer portal for better opportunities. So, 
you know, Arizona is doing an immaculate job. Uh, I think Delora is going to be somebody that I follow all year next year because when I don't know if you saw his tweet when he transferred, but he he said he takes this move personally, and I think that this is 100% aimed at Washington State bringing in another quarterback. So I cannot wait. I does I believe Arizona plays Washington State next year, and if they do, I need to be tuned in. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat for that one. Uh, <laughs> that that has you know Lane Kiffin type energy about it, uh, 100%. So. You know, I and, and and kudos to just Arizona for getting, you know, for, for not being above this. You know, me and Scott, Scott, we talked about it. this was a team, what, six months ago? I was talking, I was jokingly talking about traveling to Arizona to try out for the ball club because they were all having <laughs> open tryouts. They now had they, open you know, tryouts in the middle of the season. Yeah, exactly. You know, and now they're finishing with a top. They look like they'll finish with a top 25 recruiting class. Uh, and, and they're one of the hottest. Don't expect that to ever happen right again. Not, not exactly. for a long time. So go ahead, Nick. They play Arizona plays Washington State on November 19th. So the, the penultimate week of the season right before Arizona State. So that'll be that will certainly be an interesting one. But I haven't done a whole lot of looking at, at 2022 schedules yet. But I this this uh, makes me maybe not as high on Arizona to start the season at San Diego State home against Mississippi State home against North Dakota State. Uh, this is a team that lost to Northern Arizona last year, who is not a very good FCS team. Uh, so they they have to get a lot better. They also play Oregon and Washington in the uh, from the north. So this this is a tough schedule. <laughs> but, tough schedule, uh, but, but cer- I mean, certainly a lot more intrigue for Arizona this right, year. Right, right. I they, they got to get an upset against one of them teams, right, Xavier? I mean, uh, with all this talent coming in. So uh, let, let's go to the quarterbacks. As you mentioned, Xavier, I mean, just so many quarterbacks moving. And this, uh, uh, this is uh, the first one, Cameron Ward, who you mentioned already from uh, Incarnate Word going uh, to Washington State. We have um, John Reese Plumley, who had moved from quarterback to wide receiver at Ole Miss going to UCF expected to go back to playing quarterback for Gus Malzahn there. Uh, Jackson Dart entered the transfer portal, which made everyone suspect that Caleb Williams is going to go to USC. It hasn't officially happened as we are recording this right now. Um, you know, and uh, Casey Thompson goes to Nebraska. Um, you, you know, uh, th- there's other positions that are moving here, but the quarterbacks have been, uh, you know, big, big swings here, Xavier. And, and Nick mentioned this one that might be an under the radar Arkansas quarterback Malik Hornsby, who has elite speed. Um, UCLA looked like they were going to be uh, looking for one, but DTR is coming back now. So, um, let's just start with the quarterbacks here, Xavier. Uh, Cameron Ward, uh, Ward going from Incarnate Word to Washington there State, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, putting it all together. But what about like? Plumlee going to to UCF and Casey Thompson right. going to Nebraska and all this stuff. Well, I don't know if you guys saw uh, Hunter Johnson into the transfer portal from Northwestern. So there's another one, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's another one. You know, how, and, and how he, does he have eligibility? He's been in college football for 13 years, right? I don't know. I mean, but he's got immediate eligibility too, which is I think is hilarious. Like this is a guy who crazy. can start right away. He must be a grad transfer. Has to be uh, with yeah. as much time as he spent at Northwestern. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous out here. It's really, I mean, unless it's a pick of a litter, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, and at this point, you really look around college football and it really feels like a game of like, uh, of dominoes. Like 
This kid transfers here, which means this kid enters the portal. This kid transfers here, which means this kid enters the portal. Jackson Dart transfers out, which means Caleb Williams has to fill his spot, right? You know, and that's just how it's felt the entire time. You know, Caleb Williams leaves, Dylan Gabriel in. It just has felt like when a guy leaves, another guy's like, okay, cool. I, I like where you're leaving. So I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm, I'm going to go where you're going. You know, Dylan Gabriel leaves UCF, John Rice Plumley walks right into the door. And, and, and it's so, and what I'm expect, uh, what I'm so excited to see is really to see the if there is any drop off in some of the transfers that move over, right? We saw we ha- we saw the year Dylan Gabriel had a UCF in particular. I want to see if John Rice Plumley can better that. You know, what does he look like now at quarterback after spending a year and a half at receiver, right? You know, what does Caleb Williams look like with uh oh my god, his name just completely uh I lost it. Oklahoma's co- head coach Lincoln Riley. Uh mm-hmm. what Lincoln Riley, you know, coaching him, you know, over there again. What are they able to do in a, in, in a Pac-12 versus what they were able to do in the Big 12? Uh right? You know, you look at some of the the lower name guys, quote unquote, right? Like Paul Tyson who decides to leave Alabama after the national championship last night or two nights ago. Let's we'll see what he ends up where he ends up going, you know. Does he end up going to a, a P5? And if he does, what kind of move will that mean for them? Obviously, we talked about Jaden Delora. I mean, the names just go on and on. And the amount of quarterbacks that have entered, just the most surprising thing to me, perf- to be perfectly honest with you, as of right now, is that there's not a single Georgia quarterback in the, in the portal. Not a single one of them. I'm shocked from Carson Beck mm. to Vandegrift to Give it a little time. Ahead, I, I'm, I'm waiting. Like it's like it's an. <laughs> I feel like it's an inevitable. I'm gonna get a, you know a tweet's gonna happen. You know Carson Beck is into the portal, but as of right now, it's just it's just like who's next? Like you're almost going down rosters. Like you know who could enter the portal right now, right? Like does Jordan Travis feel like his job safe at Florida State now that AJ Duffy is committed? Will he enter the portal all of a sudden, right? Uh, you know uh, Van Dyke at, at Miami. Does he feel like his job is safe? Will he enter the portal after Jake Garcia comes in? Like it's just a, a you're almost going down roster by roster trying to figure out. You know who goes where and, and how people are going to figure it out. I think um, who was it? I think Emory Jones said he wasn't leaving. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, hey, I think really? Emory Jones said he's well. So he's, no, no, he's he just, he hasn't officially been, entered the portal. So he's he he's been, said he was said, going like, in after the, the bowl, bowl game, but he hasn't done it yet. But right. never yeah. did. But he hasn't left. I, I think is still enrolled. Right. Yeah. So there's yes. a there's a chance. I mean, there was always a chance he could go back. But uh, yeah, maybe you know, maybe he'll be back. Right, especially when you know you look at Anthony Richardson coming in, or Anthony Richardson there, Jack Miller transferring in, you know, and, you know, and there's been this this little like trickling information that like Billy Napier really likes Emory Jones, right? And it's like there's no way in hell he has another year of Emory Jones at Florida, right? But maybe he, maybe Billy Napier feels like he could get the best out of him. I don't know. Like it, it's just it, it's crazy to see the guys who are deciding to leave, and more importantly, I think it is. I think honestly. With the guys who have left and, and where they have gone for the most part so far, it's made college football better. I think we, it's made me more excited for some teams that, you know, if they had have kept their current quarterback, I was a little, you know, a little less excited about. But I, I think it's made college football for the most part. It's been a it's been a plus for all these guys moving around uh, more so than it's been a negative. And um, uh, with a lot of these, uh, I want to hear what your thoughts on these QBs are too, Nick. But the one that comes tonight. Uh, did Adrian Martinez, is he in the transfer portal? Cause Casey Thompson transferred in. I believe so. I didn't. Uh, okay. Uh, you're muted. So did, did he go in Kansas state? Sorry. Yeah. Kansas state. Kansas state. Yeah. He's, okay. he's already committed I, and moved on to Kansas state. I didn't even, I, so now I he's going to run around like that. Colin Klein. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Casey Thompson too. So, but, but what, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, Cameron word, uh, uh, ward, 
uh, John Reese Plumley, Jackson Dart, all these guys. Uh, well, it's a it's a really interesting list of names. I mean, I saw uh, you know a report in a, I believe it was a, a two four seven uh, Ole Miss specific site uh, um, write up where Lane Kiffin, you know, we were talking about just a little bit ago, uh, apparently was getting on his assistant coaches a little bit. You know, why didn't why didn't you guys tell me about this Cameron Ward kid? Um, and seemed like, you know, that might've been a, a potential landing spot for Ward, which would have immediately made him one of the, uh, more intriguing, you know, quarterbacks, country, uh, just because of what we saw Matt Corral do and Ward, of course, uh, didn't come in as, as a highly rated recruit, but has, uh, certainly played his way into, um, a, you know, big time opportunity and Washington, Washington state, not necessarily as, as high profile, but as we'll get to in a little bit, because obviously a lot of, you know, new offensive and, and defensive coordinators, but he's following his head coach. So last year we saw, uh, you know, Bailey Zappi, right. Set records for passing yards, passing touchdowns at Western Kentucky, uh, followed his offensive coordinator from the FCS level, Zach Kitley, who's now at Texas tech, uh, but it could be a similar, you know, very smooth transition because Eric Morris, who was the head coach at UIW, took that team, you know, from a, a you know, I believe, not a very good uh, FCS program. And they were in the playoffs this year and, and had a lot of success. Obviously, Ward had some success. But if he's somebody who intrigued Kiffin to the point where he was saying, like, hey, we got to get this guy in for a visit. We got to. Um, I need to see more of, of his tape need to, you know, maybe he's our, our uh, next quarterback, you know, for him to be going to a team like Washington state and also following a coach is to me really, really interesting. Uh, John Rice Plumley, you know, for different reasons also really, really intrigues me because this is a guy who's athletic enough. One, he ran for over a thousand yards as a true freshman playing in a rich Rodriguez offense, and this time last year, you know, after Rich Rod it, it had gone to ULM, my thought was, hey, Plumley, you know, transfer there. He'll run for 2,000 yards uh, in, in the Sun Belt. Um, and so didn't get a chance necessarily to see that. Uh, but seems to me, you know, a traditional Gus Malzahn offense, which we didn't necessarily see, you know, what we got used to at Auburn, what they ran at UCF, at least when Dylan Gabriel was fully healthy. Uh, you know, they they were playing to their strengths and Gabriel's strengths, not not running the quarterback or at least not design you know runs for the quarterback quite as much, letting him throw a little bit more. If John Rice Plumley is going back full time to quarterback after playing wide receiver uh, the last you know most of the last couple of years, um, that's that could that could work. You know, I mean, he, he is dynamic, uh, certainly as a runner that that's going to be really, really interesting because when Malzahn's Auburn offenses were at their best is when they had guys who could run the football at the quarterback position. Cam Newton is a unicorn. You know, John Rice Plumley is not Cam Newton, but you know, guys like Nick Marshall had a lot of success. John Rice Plumley is a little bit more in that uh, build athleticism, you know, speed wise. Um, so that's a really, really interesting one. Jackson Dart is a, you know, the, the tools, similar to, to Plumlee, uh, you know, athleticism wise are really intriguing. The landing spot, which it sounds like could be just about anywhere. I mean, he, he could end up, he's, he's from Utah. Sounds like BYU is on his 
potential uh, visits. Obviously, you know, the Pac-12 would be uh, of interest, but it sounds like there are some teams, you know, on the East Coast and then, you know, maybe some other uh, conferences as well who uh, would really hotly pursue him. Ole Miss, you know, missed out on Ward potentially. Sounds like Dart is is maybe on the list there of guys that they're going to at least entertain. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's really really going to be fun to see some of these guys who have such unique skill sets, and that's why I put Hornsby on the list. I mean, Hornsby is fast. I mean, like shot out of a cannon. I thought John Rice Plumley was the fastest quarterback in college football. I think it might actually be now that I've seen a little bit more of Malik Hornsby. Might be Hornsby. You know, so w- what is he going to do? Is he going to uh, maybe play at the P five or you know the G five level? Um, he's from. Texas, so there should be some opportunities if he wants to get, you know, a, a little bit closer to home. Maybe uh, is he a, a potential, you know, change the position type guy? If you thought that might be where his head was at, then maybe he stays at Arkansas as they're losing some, you know, uh, experience at receiver. But I, I would love to see him be able to, to you know, uh, uh, Rich Rod's not at ULM anymore, but at Jacksonville State, hey, you know that that could be really interesting. Malik Hornby could run for fifteen hundred yards in, in the right offense. So, a lot of unknowns, obviously, and a lot of uh, the musical chairs still definitely ongoing. But I think I'm even more excited about this list that we've got to talk about this week compared to the list we last week and the list the week before, because it seems like half a dozen guys or more each week. And and I do plan, I was going to do it today, but I've had my pupils dilated and so I can't see anything, Uh, (laughs) but I was going to go through and actually list, you know, okay, who's returning, who transferred, who, you know, out of FBS starters, hopefully by, you know, next week's show, if somebody else wants to go out and and do that uh, and get to it before I do please by all means but by this time next week i'll actually have a percentage of these are the percentage of 2021 starters who will be in new places uh next year because you know i've been speculating on it for weeks now uh but i I do want to see an actual number because yeah i mean it's it's more and more each week and to me you know in some ways it gets more interesting and and that's just the quarterbacks that you were talking about. I mean, there are so many other guys that have moved. I mean, uh, Xavier Valde uh, went to ASU, Jill Billingsley in the transfer portal, uh, Joe Fachua to LSU, uh, TCU defensive end Ochon Mathis, wide receiver from Wyoming, Isaiah Nayor went to Tennessee, Stanford's top two running backs in the portal, Sam Pickney to Coastal Carolina, uh, Christian Beal Smith, you mentioned before, JMU wide receiver Antoine Wells and uh, C. Uh, CMU safety, uh, Devonnie Reed went to South, uh, Carolina. I mean, um, you know, there's ties for Jackson dart to West Virginia with Graham Harrell moving there. There's coaching moves, uh, uh, on the, uh, OC Robert and I went to Syracuse, Barry Lunny left UTSA for Illinois. Um, and you, you put on this list here by your current count here, Nick, 39 offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator hires 34 defensive coordinator hires since the end of the regular season of 2021. And like we talked about, because there's NFL jobs opening and we know some coaches from college are going to join the NFL ranks. There's going to be more movement with coaches too. Not as much as there is in the transfer portal, but many, many moves upcoming in the near future. So, um, 
you know, we're going to be talking about all of them in team previews and all that good stuff. But uh, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Now, before we end out this show, um, you last week talked about uh, futures odds. And, uh, you know, this is where you made money this year, Nick, uh, a lot of money by, uh, you know, betting, you know, national championship uh, futures, win totals will be out, obviously much closer to the season, but we've already got some odds for the national championship for 2022. And, you know, no surprise, Bama's going to lead the way at plus 225, Georgia at plus 275, but uh, the numbers have come out. So what do you see, you know, and we're looking at DraftKings list right here. What do you see from some of these numbers that, uh, you know, gets your blood pumping here? <laughs> uh, the one that probably is of the biggest interest to me right now and kind of fits uh, the Georgia model for, for what got me excited about Georgia this time last year, um, plus 550, third on the list at DraftKings. And actually, Bovada, yes. their plus 600, uh, is Ohio State. And I think... If, if, you know, I would say right now, get me, I, I'm going to be rolling over my uh, Georgia winnings into Ohio State. And that's, I just think that's where the value is. I mean, I, I think had I, had we recorded the show, you know, right at the, you know, as the confetti was falling Monday night, I think the price on Alabama was little bit better they're plus 225 at DraftKings and Bovada both right now uh they were uh, maybe as high as 350 at that point I think Alabama was definitely somebody I would just have to bet because I think as much as Ohio State is going to be very very close I think there's no way uh that Alabama the only way I should say is if Nick Saban retired and some unexpected guys transferred. Um, I, I, Alabama's going to be the number one team in our power rankings, at least. Probably should be everybody's number one uh, way too early list and, and um, all of that. It's just, you know, how can you say, one, they're going to be the most talented team because Georgia's going to lose so much on defense. Uh, but how could you bet against a Nick Sab- a motivated Nick Saban team, right? Uh, so I think they they kind of have both ends. Not only they're the most talented and with the best coach, but also they do, you know, they didn't have it this year, the extra motivation of losing. They'll have that next year. So I think they're certainly the team to beat. But I think Ohio State is going to be right on that level as far as talent goes, has the you know Heisman level quarterback back in uh, C.J. Stroud, actually has more uh, weapons probably, you know, we would expect that Williams and Mechie, even though they're both, uh, unfortunately, are, are dealing with ACL injuries, probably going to move on to the NL, if I to guess, you know, going back to the 51%, I think it's probably 51%, both of those are gone. Um, and Ohio State bringing back, even though they lose their own two, you know, top two, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be, uh, you know, probably widely considered one of the top, you know, an all-American uh, preseason wide receiver, if not the best wide receiver in college football going into next year. So Ohio State might have a little bit more weapons uh, to work with. Travion Henderson, the question for me is defensively, but I love what they did as far as a hire for defensive coordinator. They were one of those, you know, 30-plus teams that changed defensive coordinators, already addressing the weak spot to me, is the secondary already addressing that through the transfer portal. So I think Ohio State is the team. And a plus 600, uh, if you can get it, is something I, I would say 
that's that's my for this year Georgia slash Oklahoma last year. That's the one that I'm kind of loading up on, and then we'll play some other ones later off of that to to hedge a little bit to try to capture some value because I think that number is going to shrink. I think Ohio State at worst is going to be number two in our power rankings and probably the AP next year. Um, I think Georgia's going to just lose too much that they're probably going to open up number three in both of those. But then if I'm looking down the board a little bit for some value, this might surprise some people. I think Notre Dame at plus 3,500 on Bovada, uh, on both actually, might be a little bit, there might be a little bit of value there because Notre Dame was a solid team this year. I mean, they, they a lot of people were really skeptical about them, the, the duration, but they won 11 games. And even though they have to replace, you know, some big time players, I feel like they actually will get sort of the rare bump from a first year head coach. Like I get a really good feeling about Marcus Freeman, the way that he has been able to keep a lot of draft eligible players are coming back, you know, on defense specifically, a couple of receivers, a couple of offensive linemen who could be drafted are coming back to Notre Dame next year. And I think, you know, he's not, uh, seems like not necessarily super hesitant of going in the transfer portal already landed a safety, Brandon Joseph, who was a freshman All-American from Northwestern. I would have to think there might be a couple of other guys that they'll go after to fill a spot, you know, fill a hole on the defensive line or linebacker, maybe even add some competition to the quarterback room like they did uh, bringing in Jack Cohn last year. I think Notre Dame's going to be, you know, a top five preseason team. And right now they're what? 11th, 12th, uh, as far as preseason odds. So if uh, they, they would probably be my number two that I'm looking to kind of grab some value with. Uh, if Alabama's, you know, uh, now a little, uh, that price is, has dropped uh, a little too much. I mean, yeah, plus 200 still probably for the, the clear number one team in most people's opinion. Uh, they might still think that that's worth it, but I'm looking. Loading up on Ohio State, and I definitely would throw a few bucks at uh, at Notre Dame. Xavier, when you look at these uh, futures odds for next year, I mean, I I could not be more on it with Nick as far as Ohio State at plus five fifty. I mean, you five and a half to one right now is crazy. That uh, they're almost you know, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't call any team a lock to make the playoff, but you know, they've made it so many times. They obviously didn't make it this year. Uh, but they had the one early loss to Oregon, and of course Michigan w- was the one that knocked them out. But um, when you look at these early odds, um, what do you like? Is it Ohio State? Do you like Bama in Georgia mm-hmm. uh, being the highest there? What What do you think uh, is the best one to take right now? Yeah, like Georgia, honestly. Um, I, I actually would think you may want to wait on Georgia a little bit to see how many guys end up going to the draft. I think their stock will actually fall, and I think that's a perfect time to pick them up. Um I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. Once you see N'Kobe Dean and Trayvon Walker and Quay Walker, all those guys disperse, Darian Kendrick and all those guys, everybody's like they're returning three defensive starters. I think that's the perfect time to hit. Um, You know, uh, there's still going to be a top three team. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think right now, though, Clemson got to be my, got to be a place that I am ecstatic about. They return most of that defense. Exactly. 
They return most of that defense, especially that impressive defensive front with Brian Breezy and Xavier Thomas. They both should be coming back. Uh, really are losing Andrew Booth and a couple of, and I think one or two linebackers going into next year, but should return a lot of that. The receivers that started to hit their stride kind of down the end of the, uh, down the stretch of the season are coming, uh, will come into their second year. DJ, DJ Uyunglele will be in his year three. And if he's not the guy, Kate Kubinick, I don't know if you guys have noticed, he's a monster coming in. The best quarterback in the country from his past class um, will be will be a, t- uh, a team to definitely look out for. Um, and that offensive line should be much improved going into their year two as they had a rather young offensive line uh, uh, last year as well. Um, I like Utah. I love Utah, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, them in USC, I'm going to think about putting some money on uh, because especially if Caleb Williams is going to USC. So you might want to put your money on them now because I think. USC's number is probably going to go up a little bit or go down a little bit, excuse me, if Caleb Williams does end up transferring there. I think right now at plus 3,000, I think if Caleb Williams ends up transferring there, you're looking at maybe plus, you know, 2,200 or something like that. So not an, you know, not a super substantial, uh, but that's, that, you know, that's, it's a good chunk of change. Uh, I think we'll move if a guy like Caleb Williams ends up being the quarterback uh, at USC. And obviously, like I said, with Utah, I think they're bringing back a ton of talent. I think Cameron Rising is a dark horse high candidate for me uh, going into next year, to be perfectly honest with you, the way uh, Utah ended the year. I think they can have a very uh, Iowa-esque season, a team that maybe, you know, six, seven weeks into the year is in that top seven. uh, And you're like, will they be able to finish here? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, um, So I I really, I I really like them. Uh, And I think, I think that's that's good for me. Uh, I wanted to say the fighting Graham Mertz, but I don't trust Graham Mertz enough (laughs) to do so. Uh, I just couldn't, I just couldn't come to that conclusion. Uh, And, you know, maybe one for fun just because they're so far down the list, but they had a really good year this past year. uh, And they're really a couple, maybe a couple head scratching losses away. Let's go Pittsburgh plus 10,000. Maybe Keaton Slovis finds his footing at Pitt. This is a team that brings back Jordan Addison, which Nick said in last week's episode, you know, this is a team that, you know, like I said, for all intents and purposes, outside could have been in the top four if it wasn't for some losses that just a little bit or a little bit head scratching. Maybe Pat Narduzzi gets this team to hit that next gear uh, with a quarterback with, with, I think, very little drop off talent wise at quarterback from Kenny Pickett to Keaton Slovis. I think he can make all the throws that Kenny Pickett made last year. Maybe just takes a little bit of second to buy in. Uh, but Pittsburgh is a team that I genuinely would not be surprised if we're looking at them, you know, week six, week seven, talking about Pittsburgh versus Clemson. Uh, it is a top 10, you know, is a, is a top 25 matchup between both teams. And I think, you know, if their schedule is difficult enough, a.k.a. if the ACC can actually be decent next year, I think that that's a team that you really can look at like, OK, maybe they're a team that can run the that can run the table next year. They play Tennessee week two. I think that will give you an amazing barometer to see where this team will be at next year. They play them uh, at Heinz uh, Field, so it's a home game for them. So that'll be a massive barometer of where they're at. I think that's perfectly early enough in the year to be like, I'm going to buy in on them. And they do avoid Clemson in the regular season next year too. Excuse me. So that, 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 I, I pit, pit plus 10,000. Hey, put a dollar down, see what happens. All right. Well, look, that'll wrap it up for us on uh, pretty much the 2021 season here. We'll be looking uh, you know, back, of course, to this season, but more looking forward, uh, moving ahead here. So remember, uh, we will be coming to you weekly still. Uh, you know, it doesn't end for us. There's still so much to talk about uh, every single week moving forward. The so be, yeah, be, yeah, the off season, there is no off season for us. We're every week. So uh, stick with us for sure. And remember, you can find us all on Twitter 
at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trist, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.